five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I'm your host, Justin. This is the Talking Warhammer segment. We have a great show for you guys today. I am happy to welcome Bear from Rerolling Ones. Bear, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Justin. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm happy I'm happy to connect with you. Uh, like we were talking just before the show, I don't think we've actually met each other in person. We probably were like two ships crossing in the night at some yeah, of these events. We've- probably cross each other's paths and also i'm i'm reasonably new to the community i was active duty for a long time so i kept popping in and out in between deployments and uh when i left the service i finally got to be a 30 some year old man with a hobby which is what you know every guy dreams of and here we are <laughs> exactly we all we all love hob- our hobbies uh in fact somebody was telling me the other day i was explaining to them what i did and they said that sounds like a real dad thing to do. Absolutely is. Okay, well, that sounds good to me since I'm a dad, you know. <laughs> so, uh, now, Barrett, you are one of the team members from the Rerolling Ones uh, crew. You guys have a YouTube channel, Instagram, Twitter, like the whole the whole nine yards, right? We're trying, yeah. We have a YouTube channel. We mostly focus on battle reports. We've kind of branched out into some other unique things here doing some community outreach and stuff but you can also find us on twitter and instagram especially for those community outreaches and we like to do community paints and everything else together yeah it's really good i've i've been uh, following you obviously for some time on twitter i know jack like i said before the show uh we've run into each other and played against each other in a couple of the big uh, grand tournaments and uh but you got who, who's all part of your re-rolling ones crew up there uh you're based out of seattle right we are based out of seattle and we were kind of in the surrounding area so the og guys of re-rolling ones are jack shoe and mark shoemaker and brent uh-huh. were the original three and then this year they have welcomed in myself james micah and uh, mason uh, micah's kind of a, he likes to stick behind the scenes but he's a an amazing painter and probably our most fluent Instagram guy. And the rest of us are uh, glory hounds standing in front of the camera doing bat reps and getting out into <laughs> the community and everything. Yeah, I was watching some of your bat reps you guys had um, uh, recently posted, and uh, they're really great. Like, uh, your intros are hilarious. Uh, the other one I was watching the other day, you were uh, uh, giving Jeremy Vestier a call, <laughs> and he had his Captain America hat on. <laughs> yeah, it's probably one of my favorite parts, uh, and you know, it's a one of those things we get to fight over, like, hey, who's got the next skit? Because it's so much fun to do, and it's so much fun to involve the community, bring little cameos in there. And uh, Jeremy and I have been friends for a while now. We're uh, teammates through the Corsairs, and I, I called him up and I said, hey, hey, I, what do you think about uh, being in my skit? You know, give me a little bit of advice over the phone. 
And he ran with it from there. I had no idea he was going to get his wife involved. He showed up. That's so funny. He had a Captain America hat. <laughs> he he was munching on a baguette. For those of you who don't know, he is he is French. He was munching yeah. down a, a baguette, giving me some uh, advice on how to beat Jack. Uh, it was it was a blast. <laughs> we had no idea that he was going to go so over and above the request of a, a little cameo. Wait. When his wife was like, are you wearing that hat again? Dude, I lost it. I thought it was so funny. It was so, so good. Funny. Especially for those that have met Jeremy. I mean, it really, it was it was a great joke and inside joke all in one. Yeah, we, uh, we had him on the show. I think he was uh, three or four episodes ago. And uh, it was great because he was talking about um, uh, being Captain America last year, you know, and... Uh, and Team America and kind of like all, all that that's entailed. And it was great to meet him when he came out for the Nova Open. And so, uh, you know, that I knowing who he was and, and kind of his personality, that was that was great. It was great to see him on your video. So, um, you know, I'm going to plug you right now. So for, for our audience members, if you've got the time, go check out some of these bat reps on the YouTube channel, Rerolling Ones. Uh, they're they're really good. They're they're uh, pretty well done. Like you. How, how hard is it to do those bat reps? You know, it depends on which side of it you look at. Uh, I personally, I escape the terrors and everything, all the homework that goes into the editing process. Jack and James are our editing team, and they're phenomenal. We could not ask for a better crew there. Uh, the actual filming itself is, is fun. You know, there's some things that you have to keep in mind. We try to keep each other accountable to... You know certain camera angles, and you also you have to keep it fun. You know you have a camera rolling, and you can't worry nearly as much about winning. And it's more about playing these unique lists and things that viewers would want to see, things that they're excited yeah. to see, uh, not necessarily just getting laser focused on how do I beat Jack, uh, which is really common between Jack and I. For those that haven't seen the channel, we have a wonderful rivalry spanning back years and years of friendship uh and it it comes through and sometimes it you have to get out of your own head and i remember that we're we're having fun but it's it's work but it's work we really really enjoy and we hope yeah. that shows through oh it definitely does uh it it definitely doesn't and what i like is um you guys aren't necessarily playing like meta bat reps you know you're putting together some interesting lists some different things you're just trying out you know, kind of different combos like the, and it looks like you're having fun with it rather than being like, okay, well, you know, like we need to play the most meta list that we can to, you know, like give the competitive community what they want. Like this seems a lot more fun and, and, uh, I mean, you guys have competitive games, don't get me wrong, but, mm -hmm. um, they're, they're seem to be more based in just having fun. Absolutely, and we're trying to bring a little diversity here recently. You know, Jack and I have brought some more meta lists to face each other and show a little bit more of that competitive side. But also, some of my favorite things in Age of Sigmar is actually the Underworlds warbands. If anyone oh, yeah. just completely shrugs those off as they're silly and I don't need to buy these, go look at their rules. If you're playing a garage hammer type match especially and there's... You know, death is not on the line. They have some of the coolest rules. Uh, I was looking at the Buccaneer from the Ogres the other day, getting uh -huh. him painted yep. up, and he steals artifacts. He just 
walks up and he rolls dice and says, nope, turn off your artifact. My monkey stole it. That's <laughs> hilarious. That yeah. is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because um, I'm a, a big Warcry player and a lot of the Warcry war bands coming out, like, they've been getting, like, very competitive in AOS. Like, the um, the Rottmeyer Creed ones were highly sought after by a lot of Nurgle players because they would do a lot of uh, diseases on everything. Everything and everyone around it seemed like. Uh, very cheap spread diseases. The Iron Golems, you know, really cheap option that Slaves of Darkness players were taking. Yep. And then you just have beautiful models like these Chameleon Skinks that were just announced for the next Warcry band. Mm-hmm. Just really, really cool. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's funny because I see them come out and I'm like, oh, great. Like, how am I going to incorporate this into, like, my, you know, Warcry collection? And then I see AOS players being like, how am I going to incorporate this into my AOS uh, <laughs> warband or, uh, or or army, you know? So, um, like... GW is really pushing the limit, it seems like, on their design with uh, some of these Underworlds and uh, Warcry warbands that they have. Yeah, absolutely. We had a lot of fun with it when we got the, the Rottmeyer Creed and the Heart of Gur. The terrain was mm-hmm. really just next level. They did a great job with it. I had a blast painting it for the channel where we have our editing team. Uh, I'm more of like the, the props team. I get to do all the terrain and everything else, which is... What, it's something that I enjoy, so you know yeah. it's a it's a chore, but a fun chore, and the the sets were just gorgeous. Uh, yeah. So everybody that has that heart of Gur is asking everybody else, "What's your bamboo recipe?" Uh, my bamboo recipe. It was nothing complicated. So when I went into the bamboo, I did just your basic slap chop start off, and I started with okay. the. Uh, the dunes uh, contrast paint. Okay. Yep. But I am an oil painter uh, okay. by choice, so I went with a burnt sienna uh, oil wash, yep. and went ahead and painted by subtraction. Pulled that back off and tried to get a good weathered look, and then I went just with a couple different layers of tan, screaming skull, and other like light tan colors, and went and dry brushed straight down the middle, so yep. that uh, it gave it kind of that walked and worn look to it. And oh, that was cool. it. It was very simple. Yeah, very nice. I um, I had a pot of ungore flesh, right? And um, that pot of paint was one of the first pots of paint I ever bought, like, as a hobbyist. And it's been sitting on my shelf for years and years and years because it's this really weird flesh tone. It's very, like, orangey. Right. You know, and it's like I would never put this on anything. Like I, I tried to put it on the Ungors, and I, I hated it because they were just too yellowy, orangey. Uh, but guess what? They're amazing bamboo color. Yeah, it <laughs> so, absolutely is. So I put it on my bamboo, and then I went a thin layer of skeleton horde contrast over it to kind of give the brown and and sink into the um, you know recesses. And uh, I was like, chef's kiss. Like, this is exactly the bamboo color that I was going for. So I was like, thank you, Skeleton Horde. Uh, or uh, thank you, uh, Ungor Flesh Pot that I've had forever. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'll be using it on the new new terrain that comes out with that skink box. So, you know, the more bamboo, I said, I've got you. I've, you know, I've, 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 the, the pot's been waiting for years to do one job. And, <laughs> you know, it's to, to fulfill the bamboo. So, that, was, that was perfect. Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, speaking of hobby stuff, like what are you working on right now? Right now, I am working on some ogres. So I'm a big destruction oh. fan, and we've got a, a book here coming here soon. So yep. uh, I went for a kind of mashup between the two different types of ogres. Went for a very classic, more normal uh, skin tones and fur colors and everything, more your browns and stuff for the actual models. And then went all ice and snow bases for them. So you got a little mashup between them and uh, cool. wrapping up you know, a good 2,000 points to try out the new book. What uh, what's your uh, army makeup look like? Mo like gluttons and and um, uh, uh, iron guts and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm. I've been painting a lot of the infantry and stuff. I'm hoping uh, if GW's you know, style of putting out books has been anything, they really like to flip the book upside down. So uh -huh. if Stonehorns and Thunder Tusks were good last time then hopefully we'll flip it and we'll see the infantry and the gut busters get a nice big glow up this time and uh i'd love to yeah. to just field a nice big infantry ogre army and give it a try yeah i mean the teaser that they gave us not too long ago for some of those gluttons was really good for them absolutely you know, was they, they had some rend they were doing crazy amounts of damage uh you know i mean like they uh they look like they're going to be tough. And, and if you ever combined them with Kragnos, where I see, and it'll be interesting to see if they do the impact hits um, on the charge like they were doing before. Because um, with Kragnos, you'd roll the 3d6 um, on those gluttons, you know? And even if they were three inches away, you'd still roll 3d6, and you did however many mortal wounds that you rolled. Um, and so that extra dice from Kragnos helped a lot. Uh, made them, made them like I don't know, like solid B minus tier, right. maybe like you know right now. And I'm thinking the book will push them up to A tier. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. But um, I'm excited for them. I think that they needed a little bit more love than they got the last time because when the last book came out, it was very like if you don't play Stonehorns, are you even playing, bro? You know. <laughs> yeah, and we've talked about it a couple times. We played on the channel with a, an army that was Stonehorns and Yetis. And uh -huh. Jack called me up and he was like, man, I forgot how old these rules are because Stonehorns used to be the boogeyman. Yeah. And they were that first thing to get impact hits. And they were the really the first thing that did mortals. And right. the, the first ward saves, they, they changed Age of Sigmar. And now they're just lacking rend and damage. The mortals are cool, but they're not that much game changing so really hoping that stonehorns are brought well into third edition got a nice little little boost to kind of bring them back to something that swings with the the big boys yeah and the eternal frost that they had in that in the their most recent book which is now a couple years old um like the eternal frost was just kind of like an okay-ish mechanic it felt thematic but it didn't really do much for the table and I'm hoping that they can, they can do something more with that, you know, something something thematic, but also like has some good rules associated with it. Absolutely. What do you think of the new model, the Blood Pill Hunter? Oh, dude, he's awesome. Uh, Jack has started to nickname him Bullwinkle for the the nice moose antlers <laughs> coming out the side. 
<laughs> That's great. That's definitely gonna stick. Yeah, you got everybody. You heard it here first. But Jack's calling it Bullwinkle. Yeah. So, so I I went ahead and decided I've got a couple ideas in mind for a little bit of a head swap on Bullwinkle. Take the the goofy antlers yeah. away and make him something a little, little more gnarly looking, a little more ogre looking, a little less goofy. But I think he's I, really cool. All the pelts and all of the trophies that they've got surrounding him. Oh, totally, totally. I it's funny because I think. There's somebody at GW, there's one of their designers that really loves horn, like, helmets. Because if you look at, like, the um, uh, Lumineth Realm Lords with those, like, big old cow hats that they were wearing, you know. And you look at the Warcry with the uh, horns of Hashut that are, like, literally bovine heads, heads that they're wearing. You know, like, somebody really likes horns on a helmet up there you know horns and antlers coming out of the head absolutely and age <laughs> of sigmar is and has been a really great version of fantasy as a genre where they've taken things that are classic fantasy and they've given them a one-up and that, that's their one way of one-upping them is give them horns yeah. and antlers on top of their head yeah it's not just like normal viking horns we're gonna take that to the 11 you know and and go like you know, moose, moose horns. <laughs> yeah, we heard you like elves with spears, so we're going to give you spears that are six inches long. Right? <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, awesome. Awesome. I I, uh, I am working on some orcs right now for October, of course, um, but I've got some of the recent Warcry box. i gotta, I got to paint up the Rottmeyer Creed and the Horns of Heshut before the next one drops so i've got to get painting because that next one's coming soon now you're on so, a deadline they've announced the the next box set i know that none of us even expected yeah i mean we are kind i was thinking it was going to be another week or so um because they they updated us with Warcry that they were going to start doing quarterly box releases like kill team um and the last one that they had done came out in um august uh, yeah, it came out August 15th, and I know because it was like literally 10 days, or like 15 days before the Nova Open Warcry tournament, and that was messing with my like rules schedule because I was hosting that tournament. So, you know how you have like a cutoff date on like when the new rules are coming out? Well, this was like a complete edition update, and it oh, came man. out like literally the day of my cutoff. And so, so I was like, just, what do I do? They have real bad gray area. <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah, very so. new to Warcry. I I would love to learn more about it, and we're looking to you know, use it for some more content because people really do love it. I had no yeah. idea about the quarterly thing, but now yeah. that they're moving out of chaos a bit, because I'm not I'm not a huge chaos person. I love chaos, yeah. love a lot of the armies. It's just just seemed to be kind of the bottom of my totem pole. Now sure. that we're moving into yeah, we've got the chameleon skinks and everything else. Man, I'm I'm super excited to see where they go every quarter with it. Yeah, the the larger community was hoping that they would get more non chaos warbands. Like they came out with the um, Canaanite shadow stalkers, you know, which were kind of like the the daughters of Cain um, special ops guys. And uh, that came out a couple of um, boxes ago in, when it was Catacombs. 
So that was like 2021 or something like that. And since then, it's just been pure chaos like coming out. And so it was great to see the skinks come out. We think that there's going to be other ones as new boxes come along. They'll probably still do like one non-chaos, one chaos, because as I was explaining to somebody the other day, uh, I think GWC's Warcry and all of the war bands as um, the fantasy version of the 1979 The Warriors movie. Have you seen that movie? I think that that's a little bit before my uh, getting into <laughs> to the movie genres. It's it is probably the most ridiculous B B rated movie that you'll ever see, and it's like the the plot line was this uh, this guy uh, gang leader called all of these gangs to Coney Island or no to like downtown New York to try to like organize together. And the gangs that they have in New York, like, there's a there's a gang called, like, the Furies, and they're all dressed up as baseball players in uniforms with their face paints, and they carry around baseball bats. And, like, they're all thematically, like, these, gang, these gangs. <laughs> and it's just, it's so ridiculous. Like, if you go watch the trailer, you're like, what am I watching here? And I feel like that that's how they see chaos, is that it's just like this, like, warriors movie where every game every gang is kind of like you know crime related but uh they're their own distinct flavor so right um you know good times with that but so, it gives me hope to see some iron jaws oh, war cry band come out i would love yeah. to see just a little little extra units for iron jaws come out It'd be amazing yeah and you know they they had it at one point where you could bring in um the Underworlds models into your Warcry Warbands. They actually had points and stats for them, uh, but when the new edition came out, they left those models out. So um, we're hoping they come back in because they are amazing models, those Underworlds models, but um, uh, they left them out. They absolutely are. So, I'm a big centerpiece yeah. person. Uh, yeah. I struggle because I've been playing Bone Splitters lately and I don't have a centerpiece. I just have yeah. a whole lot of orcs. But second to centerpieces, I love Underworld's Warbands. I think they're <laughs> the most flavorful models yeah. in all of Age of Sigmar. They're great. Yeah, you just need to make your own really awesome rogue idol. I do have one. I don't want to spoil it because it'll be on the channel here soon. It okay, is all right. very unique. Top, It's top secret rogue idol. Yep, top I secret. Like Got to finish up his base and should be filming him here in the next week or two. Oh, I like it. I like it. I'll keep my eyes open for it. Uh, so, you, my friend, recently played at a uh, local local for you tournament, right? Uh, the Pacific Northwest Masters uh, Grand Tournament, if I'm not mistaken. It was very local for me. It was actually about five minutes from my house. So, hey. who could say no to that? The uh, venue is amazing, beautiful. If any of you are ever near the Seattle area, uh, Game Wizard and Blue Sky Hobbies is a gem of a venue to host a tournament or just to go stop in. Had a They have a full bar, they have a restaurant, and it's amazing, especially if you're going to do something like an invitational. It was just a fantastic weekend of playing some Age of Sigmar. Um, how many tables do they have there? They, we actually, little little side hustle we have talked to them about hosting a grand tournament next year and they okay. said if we uh you know rented the whole basement perhaps we could do cap it at about 50 people wow, including okay. a live stream and live stream table 
Oh, wow. That'd be awesome. So that that's the hope. We're looking 2023. Go ahead and, and uh, give them our business. Do a nice uh, 45, 50 person GT complete with live stream and hosts and everything else. And it'll be amazing. Is that where you normally uh, play? So is that kind of your home store? The, it is my home store. I've been friends with the, the manager there for a very long time, even before I went full nerd, because you know, eventually all of us in the hobby had that defining moment in our nerd careers where we went full nerd. Him and I were yeah. friends long before that, and he still loves to see my painting and how far it's come and then make fun of me and laugh at me remembering the first models I ever painted and tell everyone that's, you know, looking at my decent paint jobs. I remember his first super crappy warm hordes model that he tried to paint with testers paint only. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was a very glossy werewolf. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think one of my first models I was using the, um, the uh, Apple Craft stuff from Walmart, you know. I think that's better than using testers model <laughs> paint. Yeah, the the car model paint. Yeah, I was gonna say that stuff's like for like train collections, isn't it? Like it, absolutely. If you're gonna paint a model Ferrari or a good old you know Mustang Cobra, anything like that, it's great, it's nice like... and shiny. <laughs> In candy, like, you know, like a candy, uh, what is that, candy coat? Like where it's oh, like yeah, like a nice red, fire engine you know? red. Yeah. My werewolf was looking <laughs> real good. He was ready for a car show. He's just really fast. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, he was getting pulled over by every police officer heading down the highway. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, yeah, having a great local game store it makes such a difference. Such a difference in like terms of sticking with the hobby and having a place to go, and and uh, it's it's awesome. It is. We're very fortunate here in my town. It's a military town, and military guys love their hobbies. So I think we have three or four. We have four stores here within two towns that sell Games Workshop and have gaming tables. Wow. So, very, very fortunate. Yeah, that's really amazing. That's uh, that's fantastic. Uh, so, this uh, this uh, Masters Tournament that you were in, how many people were uh, in it this last weekend? So, we it was in, in Invitational for the Masters area. We had okay. 24 guys show up, uh, including some pretty big names in ITC. Matt Beasley was there, Mason mm -hmm. Knox. Some of the guys that are really, you know, pushing the numbers and top ranking ITC. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tom Guan came all the way from Southern California to try to be a two-time Masters champion since he took the Texas Masters um, and brought a very, very nasty Daughters of Cain list. That was very interesting to watch. Um, but, yeah, 24 guys, and we actually... Had a local guy, uh, Stark took it with his Stormcast, and really? yeah, it was a really, really great. What uh, what was he running? Well, that was a great question. I actually, have uh, was my that BCP. a dragon list? He had a lot of chariots and stuff like that. Let me oh, interesting. See if I can grab what he was running. The the funny thing too is. 
pairings is always crazy, especially when you have a small tournament like that. Yeah. And a lot of us got paired very early with each other and yeah. just started knocking out all the big names by pairing them together, which is always funny when you just knock each other out. I mean, with 24 guys, like after round one, there's only six tables that are 1 and 0. You know what I mean? Like, with guys. Yeah, there was <laughs> only one 5 and 0. So, yeah. and it was, if he had lost in round five, we would have had a 4 and 1 taking the entire tournament. So, Mr. Wow. Stark Pister, uh, and he named his army Top Tier Trash, uh, <laughs> took a. Oh, I'm sorry, he was not Stormcast this time. Last time I faced him, he was Stormcast. Uh, he was Seraphim uh, with oh, Thunder Lizards. Okay. okay. So he had a Lord Croak, Engine of the Gods, attached mm -hmm. to his Cronspine. A, an Astralith Bearer, a Skink Priest, a unit of Guard, and two units of Skinks. Cronspine, a Bastilladon with Solar Engine, the Purple Sun, the Horror Ghast, and then obviously his Terrain Piece. Yeah, so I'm hearing Seraphon, Cronspine, Horror Gas. Like, those are like three of like the four. If you just throw a Purple Sun in there, like you yep. may have got like the, the meta bingo. No, no, there's a Purple Sun in there too. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, All right, so bingo. He got it. <laughs> yeah, he filled the whole bingo card up right there. <laughs> I mean, Engine of the Gods, that might as well be your, your fifth piece on the bingo card. Good to go. Yep, yep exactly. How many um, how many cron spines were there? I think the top three lists all had yeah. cron spine. Yeah. Uh, they were pointing that out. It was the majority of them had cron spine. I had cron spine. I'll admit it. Uh, I mean, I'm... why not? Like, why wouldn't? Why at this point, why wouldn't you? Honestly, yeah. I was a like, very you almost have to if you want to be competitive. You almost have to. Yeah, I was a very anti crutch spine person for a long time. Not that I was going to, you know, harass anybody who took it. I just didn't see a need for myself to take it. Mm -hmm. I swapped over to Bone Splitters. Jeremy V talked me into running with the, the Cron Spine. Said, okay, I'll run it once before it gets nerfed. And then once became twice, and now hopefully the battle scroll comes soon, and, you know, it's day and the sunlight is done. But yeah. I, yeah. I have to say, too, as... Annoying as it is that the cron spine is used in so much of the majority of lists, it also has, in a way that we wouldn't have predicted, balance the meta. I agree, one hundred percent. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, the there are very few armies right now that cannot hold their weight in this meta. Uh, you know, yeah. the cruel boys are. Still struggling, unfortunately, and uh, I think that'll be fixed maybe with some, hopefully, some uh, future releases. Um, and there's a couple other armies that, you know, gets is, is having a little bit of a struggle, but overall, the majority of all of the armies out there, it's also Cronspine in there, and suddenly yeah. it's it's swinging with the big boys. Yeah, I mean, you you know, in, in before Cronspine, it was Kragnos, right? Like... You could take a Bone Splitters list and kind of run Kragnos and Friends with, uh, you know, it's kind of what I like to call some of those lists. Um, and uh, so, you know, having these big centerpiece, you know, monsters basically that can get on the table and 
and run has has balanced out. You know, you can you can come up with a list for most armies. It's funny because I was running Night Haunt and somebody tried to convince me to take a Cronspine for Night Haunt, and I said that is the worst thing I could do for myself. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> because the first... I can't retreat and exactly. I need to retreat. <laughs> as soon as the Night Haunt book came out, and there we we realized that this new tactic for Night Haunt was going to be retreat and charge and do all yeah. all these cool things. The Next GT I went to was a Bay Area Open, and a teammate of mine, uh, Alex Gonzalez, big Nighthawk player, and yeah, he yeah, yeah. was just stressing, like, oh, man, what what should my new list be? New book, new list. And he throws this list together, tosses it in BCP, the deadline's over, and we look at it, and we're like, did you take a Kronspine? Like, yeah, why? I was like, what? <laughs> you can't retreat. And I want to say he still went four and one or three and two or something yeah. at, at the Bay Area Open, uh, but there were just some miserable games, just having to navigate his own dominance oh, aura yeah. and can't retreat, and you know he'd had to stick Cronspine on the far side of the board away from his own army, and it, it was just it just made his life miserable. I mean, I thought about that. Like I was like, I mean, I was like, maybe if I just like throw it on one side of the board and just kind of control that area while I go do my other stuff on the other side of the board. I was like, but that, like, the problem is, is you, you really have to be playing chess with yourself. Yeah. I already have (laughs) a hard enough time remembering (laughs) just to keep my army three inches away from Kronspine because I'm kind of a simple one track mind player. Uh, so having to keep, keep him like a foot or more, away from my army that's never happening right right exactly exactly so um it'll be interesting to see what happens when they um kind of let cronspine go um do you think they're going to nerf the purple sun at the same time it seems like the purple sun craziness has sort of subsided a little bit yeah and maybe once they uh free up some points with cronspine maybe purple sun comes back but i think People, the the rumor mill has been that this battle scroll that has been announced it'll drop this month will, in fact, give a points change as well. It'll be like a oh, a, yeah, like okay. a, a halfway through the season points yeah. change and overhaul along with the battle scroll. So we'll see uh, how that actually goes down and, and how much of an effect it has on, on the meta. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see, for sure. So, um, what? Uh, why don't you tell me about some of the some of the matches that you had yourself there at the at the Masters tournament? Who who did you you were playing uh, Bone Splitters, right? I was. I was playing a Bone Splitters Cronspine list. So, five units of Big Stabas, two units uh-huh. of Maniac Boar Boys, uh, two units of Savages, one unit of More Boys. And uh, you have obviously two Wargog prophets because yep. you can't Laser leave beams. home without them. Laser beams, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then you have your savage big boss to give you the extra three inches of move. Yeah, uh, in the beginning. So uh, a lot of fun. The first match I had was against Andrew Hare, and he brought ogres. Okay, and he had a predominantly Stonehorn list. He had a little bit of Battle Line Stonehorn, some 
Frost Sabers coming in with an Icebrow Hunter, a Butcher, and just a bunch of the Stonehorn heroes. Which is unfortunate because I turned off all his wards. Oh, you had the... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, did, I took Drakfoot. Yeah. So, you know, he was able to immediately, first turn, I, you know, I pregame move, I get closer to him. He comes in, charges me. I'm able to call the wall and survive it. Cronspine does level. You know, a, a metal crunching stone horn still puts out a good bit of damage. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I was shocked because stone horns are on a three up. It was uh, with no rend. It was pretty hard to chew through, even without their wards. But uh, I was able to, you know, Cronspine was able to eat a stone horn. The Wurgogs laser beamed a couple stone horns on some different flanks and, and able to push back and uh, push him back off me. Which. It's it's fun and hilarious all at the same time. Just pushing those two wargogs until they blow up. That's yeah, right. Kind of the joy of playing destruction and orcs is you're always gonna have some stupid gimmick that can yeah. blow up your enemy or blow up in your face. And I'm not usually one to gamble, but the past couple of GTs I've been looking for just something fun to do that's still yeah. practical and. Wargogs blowing themselves up is absolutely a blast to uh, blow yourself up or blow up other things. And if I if I recall correctly, those those big stabbers really like those monsters too, right? Yeah, on a two up, when so when they die, they do the final fling, which yeah. is D three mortal wounds. If it's a monster, it's on a two up. Anything else yeah. is on a four up. So all those stone horns, every time they're killing my screens of big stabbers, they were in fact taking the, the D3 mortals from the, the final fling very, very easily. Yep. So, yep. yeah, it was, it was very effective. You know, a, a lot of fun at the same time. So, it, it's a really, really neat list. It's fun to see Bone Splitters actually holding their own, too. You know, they, they kind of sat in the shadow of Iron Jaws for a while. And... Oh, yeah, for sure. And and I and I really like the Drakfoot faction too. By the way, um, the the Night Haunt that I play, um, I play the um, Quicksilver Dead. So it's the it's the uh, Herodons that can turn off wards, and um, that caught a lot of people by surprise at the recent Nova Open. Yeah, it's really shocking. I played the GT before that. I went to was called the Sparkle Death Party. Hosted by uh, Matt Beasley's club, Dimensional Cascade, up here in Seattle, which uh -huh. was a fantastic event. They put on a great event. But I played one of my absolute best friends in the hobby, and when we walked up to the table, he was playing Nurgle. It was an all-flies list oh, that he great. was playing, and he was like, man, you know, I don't know that I've ever seen Bone Splitters. What do they do? And I just smiled because we we're longtime <laughs> friends. Uh, we we're both Navy and everything else. And I uh -huh. said, "Well, they, I ignore wards." And he he dropped all of the curse words at me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sat down at the table and said, "All right, let's get this over with." <laughs> yeah, because that five up uh, ward is no joke with Nurgle. Absolutely, you know, like, they're very oh stocky. It's so hard to chew through. You know. I played uh, I played the All Flies list with uh, an Iron Jaws army, and I just could not get through it. Even with all the wog and rend and all that stuff, I just could not get through it. You know? Yeah, 
Absolutely. Uh, but then I played against it with a, the Quicksilver dead, and it was like hot knife through butter. <laughs> yeah, those know? those flies suddenly just disappear once you turn off yeah. that mechanic. Because you know, he was talking to the guy that's a, he's a long-term Nurgle player, and he said, you know, probably about a thousand points of two thousand point list of Nurgle is their ward. Like that's where the points allocation is. So yeah, it's yeah. such a huge gimp when you turn that off. I mean, without ward, every three wounds you do, two is, are getting through mathematically. You know, so if they come, yeah, like you said, like if they're coming with a two thousand point army, like you're really playing against three thousand points wounds wise. Yeah, you know. So and then um, it, what's crazy is bone splitters. Their wall, it's so short lived, but it's also so good. You're yeah. turning everyone's ward off and then handing yourself a four upward yeah. for an entire combat yeah. phase. So if you're facing a melee army, it's just fantastic. You could really just take a heavy alpha hit and just keep rolling. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So who did you play after um, uh, after the Ogres list? So I then played a gentleman by the name of Jay Gooding who is running Lumineth. Uh, I felt very bad for him in this because here locally in the Pacific Northwest, we have a rule that all the TOs hold on to. No army is allowed without an FAQ. So new Lumineth is out. There's no FAQ. But there is a box set that has an FAQ. So he was running this middle ground rule set where he had... All of the old rules and faction abilities and stuff, plus the shorter range sentinels. And he was running 60 sentinels. Ah. So it was almost gimping himself on this middle ground rule set. But he did really great. Uh, The problem was Bone Splitters plus Cronspine, there's a lot of MSU, a lot to chew through. So with my pregame move, I was able to screen him and the few warden units that he had I was able to screen them back into their own territory and anytime he was able to push forward with wardens try to cap a couple points on an objective my wargogs were sitting on each of those points and they would just laser beam the wardens to death and then we I'd set up a couple fresh screens that he had to shoot through. So he was never able to really push out of his territory. I just had too many units, too much wounds, and too much MSU for him to really like isolate and kill something that mattered other than Cronspine. One of the things is there's not a lot of people out here in my uh, area that play Lumineth, uh, but those that I have seen before usually use the, the Fox Archer. You know, the one that could move at the end of your movement phase just before you charged. Um, was that on the table at all, or have you seen that recently? I haven't seen it recently. It's probably been maybe about six months since I've seen the Severeth um, yeah. on the table. Uh, this time it was just, it was all Sentinels. Uh, I did play at the Boise Open. I played and lost to a gentleman with Lumineth. That when I was playing Gargants and he was running a Teclas Sentinels with some of the uh, the cavalry 
and some wardens. Uh, really, really, really good build. Uh, he did really well. I believe he ended up going four and one in the end. Oh, nice. I actually have not seen a fox list in a while. Yeah. Yeah, do you think that that's just because it's sort of OBE with the new releases? Yeah, I, I think it kind of lost some of its punching power a little bit. Um, who knows with, you know, with the new book coming out too, I think we're going to see a lot more of the, the mountainous elves. Yeah. Maybe some of the bulls, some of the stone guard. I think we're going to see lists kind of going in that direction. We'll probably still see your sentinels and your wardens and your classic bread and butter of the Lumineth, but I think we're going to see a lot more of the mountainous elves that weren't quite as popular last time. Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, I'll be interested to see uh, kind of how it plays out because we didn't we didn't get a lot of those stone elves, uh, you know, stone... Um, yeah, that's still part of the faction before, so... I played against a, a guy at the Emerald City Open here in Seattle uh -huh. that played predominantly. He had two of the bulls, the named one and a normal bull, and he had Stone Guard. And they were just just a, a real a hair away from being great. Like, I faced him, and I faced him with my Gargants, and I was surprised at how sturdy they were and they were able to, to hit back pretty well and ended up taking down one of my gate breakers pretty easily they're a little slow but now their rules are just that hair better so i'm very interested to see them represented in the meta see some of the top players take them and pilot them and i think they're going to do really well nice nice um yeah it'll be interesting to see uh what happens with it so, uh, so Ogres round one, Lumineth round two, who you got in round three? Round three is where I took my first loss. I played uh, Dale Johnson. He's also known as Chump Amber on okay. Twitter. Really, really great Scottish gentleman from British Columbia uh, up in Canada. And yeah. he came down with his Daughters of Cain, which is a very unique list. He runs predominantly Avatars of Cain. Oh, and he's uh, got some 3D printed ones, so they're every single avatar is a little different, got a little different style to the 3D print. But he, let's see, how many do you have? He had four avatar of the cane, so two units of Canari, Blood Sisters. Let's see, three units of Witch Elves, the Hag Queen, the Cauldron of Blood with Hag Queen, and the Bloodrack Medusa. Nice. Wow. That's not a traditional blood daughters of Cain list right there. No, it's but it's it is very very strong. Uh, it's he's done really well at the past two GTs that I've seen him at. He went four and one at the Sparkle Party Deathmatch up here in Seattle, and he's been doing very well with that list. Uh, he was very very shocked when he hit my line, and I was able to wall and salvage a lot of my screens at first. And then yeah. my Wargogs were able to turn around and pull two avatars right off the field with their laser beams. But it was then his turn to surprise me. I have not played against a lot of the, uh, was it the Blood Sisters? Yeah, Blood Sisters, not Stalkers. The Melee Snakes. I have oh. not seen much of them here in the Pacific Northwest area. They're and nasty them. right now. They're not only nasty, they're sturdy. 
do they yes they are do they crystal touch you no in all the wrong places no <laughs> i i put cron spine into them okay uh thinking okay you know i'll go ahead and clear some of this out of here i can probably bring something in to support him next turn to maybe finish them off but cron spine just bounced off of them they're very sturdy i think he killed one snake at most wow uh, and then I ended up losing Cronspine wow. before I really thought I would. I ended up taking out the the snakes with a Wargog. Again, Wargog lasered some uh, snakes off the table, the full 10, 10 snake unit. Uh, but it was kind of a last-ditch effort to try to salvage the game. He ended up having a cauldron of blood. It was a, it was a very, very bloody, bloody match. In the end, I finished with three pigs... And some savages that just ran away for points. <laughs> he finished with a cauldron of blood and the blood rack Medusa and oh some Canary. That was it. Everything wow. else was dead. We just killed everything on the table. I mean, that matchup, you kind of expect that, right? Yeah, you absolutely like, do. <laughs> it's all choppy choppy on both sides. <laughs> yeah, it was just a lot of swinging, a lot of killing. All the avatars were dead. All my, you know, my wargogs went ahead and just blew themselves up, trying to take as much stuff off the board as they could. And it was really, really great game. Really great way to end day one, especially yeah. in an invitational. Just playing a really sweet, bloody game with a really cool guy, just another brother in the community that I've really enjoyed getting to know. Lots of fun. Very good, very good. So that was your first loss. Um, who did you play next? So starting day two, I played Iron Jaws. So this okay. was a, a match that a lot of people were kind of poking their heads in on to see Iron Jaws versus Bone Splitters. Uh, he ended up taking the win. It was another Corsair. Uh, Stephen Newberry ended up okay. taking the win. He uh, it, it really could have gone either way. He did his you know pigs and Rogue Idol. And Mock Rusher Alpha Strike got everything into my screens and was actually able to get his Rogue Idol around my screens with just a big, huge charge um, with through a, a bit of a gap and uh, through some Wildwoods and get them into my Wargog and put a little bit of damage into my Wargog. Yeah. But uh, I called the wall. I rolled zero four ups. Oh, great. <laughs> just, just none. <laughs> none like the whole alpha. So I lost pretty much all my big stabbers. So, okay, four up for a big stabber to throw their spear. Roll zero four ups. Just got none of them. Okay. So then, my turn. Wargogs are going to get rid of this rogue idol and this mock crusher. They blow themselves up. The, no. they, they don't take off either of them. The, the mock crusher ended up taking, I think, 12 wounds. So he's hurt, but... I blow up the Wargogs. Uh, Cronspine fails his charge into the Maw Crusher. He needed a six re-rolling. He failed both of them. So that left Maw Crusher to just go and eat all of my savages and stuff that were holding down points. And it, it was just, it's a game of dice. And yep. when it's destruction on destruction, you need lucky dice. I didn't have lucky dice. And so we met on the field. Uh, I bled more than he did. I still took off a lot of his pigs, and uh, the dice didn't go my way, and it was really fun. At the end of the day, we play a dice game. Absolutely. You know, 
and uh, and you know sometimes uh, it gets cold at all the wrong all the wrong times. I um I played a mirror match at this most recent Nova, right? And uh, so he was playing. Uh, we're both playing Night Hunt. He was playing the um the Scarlet Doom, so all those mortal wounds would have hit me if I didn't position myself well, you know. And I was turning off all of his wards. So, like, we're playing this, like, really cagey kind of back and forth. And I get three inches away from him, right? I'm like, okay, I, I, I waited. I was patient. I got three inches away. He ended up um, repositioning, you know, after my move for four inches. So it was a seven-inch charge. I'm like, I can do this. I, I got my re-roll, like, everything. Roll the six. Roll the six. And that was it. Like that was the that was the game right there. Those rolls because I couldn't get in, and then he just came right in at me, like <laughs> you know, yeah. the the next turn and all those mortal wounds just like deleted my deleted my unit. So um, at the end of the day, it's a dice game, and sometimes uh, they are fickle. They are very very fickle. Yeah, especially when you play destruction. If you're gonna play oh, yeah. a goofy gamble army, and you know oh, sometimes yeah. you just roll the roll the wrong way, and it happens and Especially Iron Jaws and Bone Splitters, it was super fun. Yeah. Uh, I had a good time playing it, and I hope to play it again and see what the dice will do next time. For sure. All right, so what was your final match? You're 2-2 two two at this point. Yeah, final match was versus Korn. Uh, Ricky Mans pilots a, a Korn army with Scarbrand and some uh, Bloodthirsters. It's a pretty traditional Korn list. Yeah, he needs to get into my army, needs to get to the meat of it. He gets to my screen. The wad did stop him this time. Dice went my way. Uh, I was able to wargog his bloodthirster down to like two health, and I stopped there and let my cronspine go eat him. And then I used my other wargog to just get rid of the bloodthirster. And uh, at that point, he had Scarbrand and a Demon Prince left. And most of his chaff was also dead and everything else. I pushed out and was able to, you know, at this point, Cronspine's a level three and stuff like yeah. that. So he wins priority going into turn two. Scarbrand moves away from Cronspine to try to not get eaten. And he rolls Snake Eyes on a three-inch charge. Spends a CP. Rerolls it. Rolls Snake Eyes again. Oh. Reaches over. Shakes my hand. Says, all right, well... That's that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, basically the opposite of what happened to you the previous game. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, just didn't go his way. You know, at that point, he was already down two demons. And uh, he was within 12 of both my Wargogs for his Demon Prince and his Scarbrand. And my Cronspine was, you know, maybe a few inches away from them, too. Yeah. Uh, so, it, it would have it just been a snack. For a good old crush spine to go and eat them up and so but yeah just a real quick game real but it's fun it was fun yeah it seems like it was a, a really great tournament and invitational and you know with only 24 I, I was thinking about this when i looked at it 24 people playing five rounds i mean like that's a that's a lot of mix and match, it's a lot of mix um, and match. what was great too the community here in the pacific northwest is great yeah, we had guys come for the invitational from Oregon, from Idaho, you know, here mm -hmm. locally and everything else. But then also 
people local to here that didn't make the masters they also sorry they they also showed up so oh, that's cool i i think we had like four different ringers that just came to hang out and sometimes right. some rounds the ringers played the ringers for fun the yeah. to at one point got a game in as a ringer there was 24 people on the list there was probably at one point 30 people playing oh that's awesome so we that's just had awesome. a blast you know people yeah. were getting drinks and playing games and playing games for fun the the town itself is really great and it really just good supporting town for a venue so absolutely wonderful event uh so looking at the horizon holidays are coming up do you have any other uh, kind of bigger events that you're going to do before the end of the year so i think i have convinced myself and what's terrible is for all you married men out there <laughs> i'm sure you have a partner in crime that will hold you accountable and not let you go to too many events. And I'm sorry, I don't have that. <laughs> I have a wonderful, <laughs> amazing wife, and I have three kids, and I'll say to her, I was like, you know, I'm considering traveling all the way across the country to go to this event. She's like, good, do it. And I was like, that, no. No, that's... <laughs> You need to save me from myself. <laughs> yeah, I need you to save me from me. So I, I mentioned Everwinter happens beginning of December out in Boston. I've already got a ticket for it. And uh, she oh, was supposed awesome. to talk me off that ledge. She didn't. So it looks like uh, I'll be going to Everwinter right in the beginning of December. Very cool. Very cool. I know um, a big one out here um, is Du Bois is coming up. Uh, I'm thinking uh, next week, next weekend. Um, that's up in like Rochester, New York. That's a big one that like even guys from Virginia like to go up to and play. Okay. So um, it's kind of a more fun. Uh, it's 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 grown into like a bigger tournament, but it started out as a very casual, fun tournament, and uh, it's just kept kept growing. So you know, the the bigger these get, the more I don't know. It, it's wrong to say like the the less fun they are, but um, it's definitely not as intimate anymore, you know. And um, and sometimes the when you get a big tournament, a big big tournament, it's not as casual in a sense, um, just because there's so much going on, you know. So yeah, it's uh, almost more and less casual at the same time. Right. When you have that many people, you can go five games of seeing lists that you've never even heard of the construction like oh wow right. like what a weird concept um lvo i think is going to be just crazy because 360 tickets have been sold so wh what do you what do you think That's you're going to play for five rounds you know it's i know it it's just going to be insane uh what different constructions people will bring yeah i cannot believe that lvo has sold that many tickets it's fantastic, and that that's part of you know what I love is watching the community grow and helping the community grow, and it's great to see that it's grown to this point that they're selling that many tickets, and I can't wait for LVO. I can't. I think it's gonna be a blast. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be amazing. Um, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens at the uh, Warhammer U.S. Open fin finals uh, that's happening in New Mexico in a couple of weeks. Um, I know I'm. 
uh, obviously I didn't get a ticket to get down there. <laughs> wasn't invited. But uh, that's right. But, I wasn't uh, either, and I'm jealous okay. because yeah. the venue looks beautiful. It looks crazy amazing, doesn't it? Yeah. So yeah, we had James O'Brien on here talking about it, and then we had um, we had uh, Caleb uh, Walters on here uh, last. He was our last interview actually, uh, right after the Nova Open. So he got his ticket punched a couple of times to go down there because he's won a couple of uh, big big Open events to get invited. So. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. I, I, I like the idea of having kind of a big series like that as well as some of these more local tournaments that you guys have been running, for example. Yeah, uh, we've got uh, Matt Beasley. He's going to be representing the Pacific Northwest, so uh, cheering him on. You know, him, Caleb, James, they're all just gems of people, which is a testament to this community. Age of Sigmar community nationwide is wonderful people, and that's one of the reasons I do what I do. It's just so great. But, uh, yeah, yeah, he won the Seattle U.S. Open, and he'll be representing the Pacific Northwest at that Invitational. So wishing him the best as well. Oh, 100%. And, uh, uh, yeah, the, the Age of Sigmar community, it's, it's really interesting. I um, when, war, uh, when 40K 9th Edition came out, I, I picked up a, an army and started playing that just because I was like, hey, let's try it out, right? I quickly switched back to, and not that I really left Age of Sigmar, but I, I switched, quickly switched back full-time to Sigmar because I said, I, I feel like our community in Age of Sigmar is um, much more welcoming and helpful and endearing to each other, and I, I kind of missed it, you know, um, switching over to that. So I think there's a lot of great people, um, not just in the local areas, but, you know, you, you find... You know, I find that I've got great friends that are in all over the place, Texas, Southern California, you know, Pacific Northwest, Northeast, like all over the place. And everybody's just so um, amazing to play with. And, and I've, I don't think I've had, honestly, like a bad game with anybody. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. I was not really a hobbyist until Age of Sigmar. I, when the, the game came out was about just coincidentally when I was looking for a hobby, never played 40k or anything else, but, uh, I've through the channel, through the team America Minutemen program, mm -hmm. even just on a, in a distance setting, I've really got to know so many people in the community and it, it really is like, it's so supportive in a way. And, uh, we kind of weed out our bad apples here and there, but. You know, people are always just cheering you on for, you know, hey, your your paint looks great, and hey, great job on this GT, and, you know, it's it's wonderful. So to all of you out there, please keep it up, because it's just so great that we have maintained this community and this warmth throughout years of Age of Sigmar being out in multiple editions. Yeah, and as it has grown, too, right? Because, like, you could lose that sort of small flavor camaraderie when you know, the game grows very large, but I think we've been able to keep the culture of the game um, throughout. So that's been pretty good. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So let's talk, let's talk about sons of behemoth. I, I, we talked about this. There are people <laughs> say it all different ways. So I'll probably say behemoth. And I can't remember how you say it. I subscribe to the behemoth. Behemoth. Uh, you know, okay. That's okay. Of it. But I also, I it tosses my drawl in there a little bit, so that's all right. <laughs> I, that's okay. I don't knock anybody for, um, you know, pronouncing or mispronouncing this. 
Um, you know, but these are our big boys. These are our stompy boys. Uh, and they just recently had a book that came out not too long ago. And yep. uh, so the question that I have that I want answered today in, you know, various ways. Uh, the previous role of these giants were that they were essentially um, uh, gatekeepers in tournaments, right? Like they were um, they were the ones that you had to kind of plan for because they were out there, and but they were beatable. You just needed to know how your faction would beat them. Um, they were they got similar to like uh, Iron Jaws, of, like in two thousand and. Or end of 2019, early 2020. Like, you had to know how to beat Iron Jaws because there's a lot of people playing them. Um, and if you wanted to reach any of the top tables, you basically had to have a plan for the Giants. Do you feel that they are in that same situation now? Or have they evolved to where they are more of just a, instead of a, you know, a, a like a, a, a gatekeeper, like that they are a threat in, in themselves? I think... They are a gatekeeper in a sense that a lot of armies right now are gatekeepers. So yeah. it, it's rock, paper, scissors sometimes in what you play. We talked about it earlier in this episode saying, you know, you face a Nurgle army with your Drakfoot bone splitters. Well, right. you know, the, the Nurgle is obviously, you know, in the game of rock, paper, scissors, they're at a massive disadvantage. Yeah. So you play something that is more of your moderate DPS. You might have a hard time pushing a Gargant off of an objective. Now, Mightier Makes Rightier does degrade, and that's great, but it doesn't go away. They never become one model, and unless they're dead, they're zero. But there are some things that in the world of rock, paper, scissors won't be able to deal with them. And that's right. okay. That's what makes going to events and playing these games fun is you're not going to have the perfect matchup against everybody. Right. So do you think that, um, that the Suns now are, are they in a better place than they were a month ago? In a competitive sense, I don't know that they're in a better place. I think okay. this was a parallel movement from where they were. They okay. were, in some ways, a little bit one-dimensional. They had some good swinginess, and you could stand on an objective. And they were, they could also, in the proper build, scalpel units very well. Get in there and confidently remove a unit, remove a monster, do things like that. Some of that's gone away. Their damage has deteriorated a little bit, but they have gained some utility. They've gained monstrous rampages. They've gotten a boost to other parts of their War Scroll. So, are they better or worse? I don't think so. I think they're different. Apples okay. and oranges, almost. So, this is like a lateral move um, that they did. A kind of a sideways shift. And do you think that it responds better to what the current state of the Ada Sigmar meta is right now? I think it's going to be interesting to see. But I think in terms of... It's interesting right now because the goal of the General's Handbook this time was an infantry-based meta. Yes. Uh, yes. But right. although I love this General's Handbook and I'm having a blast at all of my events, 
I don't think we, we really like hit it on the nose with being an infantry based meta because we have things like bounty hunters and stuff. Right. It will be very interesting to see with Gargants being able to turn off Inspiring Presence to pick up models and move them for the first time. They have all of these little tactics that are completely... Some of them are completely unique and some of them are rare. In Age of Sigmar, it will be very interesting to see how that interacts with the current armies. I think they're going to do well. I think they're going to be a 3-2, and 4-1 and one army in the hands of the right people. And mm-hmm. to me, any 4-1 army is a good weekend away from 5-0. and oh. So right. I think we'll see a, a pretty good range of how people do with these models. And now, with the mathematics, the two extra megas, man crushers are better and more unique in the tribes. Uh-huh. I think we're going to see a lot of variations in how people bring this army to the table. And so I'm excited to see what that does. Yeah, it felt like um, in the previous iteration of, you know, the Mega Gargants, that um, it was pretty... You're pretty limited in your list building, right? You either came with, like, four Gargants, or you came with three Gargants and, like, three uh, Man Crushers. Um... I, I saw people throw Kragnos in there, you know, but really, I mean, and, and that's kind of the nature of the beast when each model costs you like 400 plus points. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you don't have a lot of uh, variation to, to work with anyway. Yeah. But um, what are some of the biggest changes do you think um, that that will bring variety into into the list building? I think the, the biggest thing so far that I've noticed is the tribes. The okay. tribes in themselves, the last book, people had their favorite tribe. And the the worst one was probably the least favorite one would be the Stomper tribe. Mm-hmm. Now, the Stomper tribe was very, very good. Uh, it's very tempting to take. And people were taking Stomper tribe last time mostly for the artifacts that were in it. Not necessarily the actual rules that went into that tribe. But each tribe has something unique that it brings to the table, especially in terms of man crushers, in terms of what it gives to its its named Mega Gargant and everything mm-hmm. else. So I think that's really the biggest change is which of these tribes we're going to see the most of, or is it going to be pretty diverse seeing you know, how that goes? Yeah. The other thing is Broad is a very... King Broad is the new Mega Gargant for those that... Right. Haven't seen him. Uh, he he's amazing, by the way. He's gorgeous. I really loved painting him. Had a blast doing it. I uh, did it for the channel, which I kind of set myself a deadline that I completely missed by probably three or four days because I got a little <laughs> overzealous painting him because he's so cool. Nice. Uh, his points are in a rather unique pigeonhole spot where he kind of messes. With that feng shui of getting a nice 2,000 point or, you know, 1,900 to 2,000 point list. So I'm also interested to see how that fits in, you know, across the the world and how people use him. Or do they use him just because of where the math sits on getting 
a a good wholesome number for your army. Yeah. Um yeah, it seemed like uh uh that was the complaint that I was seeing from from a lot of people was that like it was just like ah, I just can't fit the points in, you know, and and get get like what I really want to be. And I mean that happens with a lot of new books, right? Like you end up putting your list together and you're like 2,015 points. You're like, dang it, <laughs> you know, like this is the perfect list. Um, and so, uh, but that's where people end up getting kind of creative and they and they find those things. Um, the one of the things that I wanted to um, point out was that a lot of the new books, especially the three, the three, three O books anyway, I thought that they've done a very good job almost, almost across the board with every book that they have with the sub factions in there. Um, you can, in my opinion, a good book is one where you can find multiple builds that are competitive and fun to play. Uh, because like sometimes you would get a book out and it was like, well, this is, you remember like the, I mean, the old battalions and stuff like that. It was like, well, this yeah. is the battalion that you have to play. If you want to be competitive, this is the battalion. And it's nice that they had four other battalions in here, but they don't really matter because they're not competitive at all. Those are all narrative battalions almost. You know? Or you just couldn't take them. They can yeah. look at this battalion and like, oh wow, that's a 4,500 point battalion. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and you know, or you look at it and you're like, so that battalion is made up of models that are not competitive at all, like at all. Yeah, you really had to pay the tax. Yeah, so you know them getting rid of the tax in three O, I think, was really great. And what it allowed them to do is be really creative and fun, and fluffy with the um, sub factions. And it sounds to me as you were uh, kind of describing that the the tribes kind of fit that bill with this book as well. That there's multiple tribes that you can take that make them competitive, that make them fluffy, that kind of fit that narrative as well as the rules, you know, all to all together. And when you look at them, too, they, you made a great point that they're all usable mm -hmm. and not just usable. So say, you know, a, a couple months from now, we land a new General's Handbook and we shift back to Monster Hammer. Yeah. All right. You know what? I'm going to shift over to the Smasher Tribe. Mm -hmm. There are things in this book where you can look at it and say, it might not be, it. it's not bad, but it's not great right now yeah you know two three months from now it could be they all show potential and right. you can see where this could fit into future metas and books and generals handbooks and seasons i think that's a that's a very very good point uh because you know i look at uh when the night hunt book dropped there was two standouts for me. It was the Scarlet Doom and the Quicksilver de uh, Dead. The Emerald Host was okay, and um, uh, the I'm forgetting the third, the fourth one right off the top of my head. But like it was okay, you know. But I think you make a very good point, which is when the General Handbook kind of shifts the tectonic plates of the meta, right? Like things shake out in some of these books, and it's. It's because, in my opinion, we're not rooted in the battalions where you have to take those taxes again. You have to take that certain artifact. You have to take those certain troops. You have to, you know, do X, Y, Z to be able to get the couple of benefits, you know, like rerolling hits or rerolling wounds or something like that. 
that was available in that battalion. Now it's like, let's, you know, the sub faction provides that. So, um, if you were to, if you were to rank right now the tribes in the current meta, how would you rank them? I think right now I'm sitting, my favorite is the Stomper tribe. I'm really looking forward to trying that. The War Stomper himself, I think, came out ahead. His points really didn't change. His War Scroll didn't change. Mm-hmm. He just stayed the same. And I think he's got a lot of play net big just because he didn't change. You know, he got he just kind of got over not overlooked, but you know, he left, left alone. I really like his tribe the best. Sitting so, at so, go ahead. So let me so let me just uh, kind of interject real quick. So for those of our listeners that may not have the book in front of them, what does the War Stomper tribe um, give you? So the Stomper tribe it does give you a big shout. So when your general issues a command to a friendly man crusher gargant, until the end of the phase, they can issue the same command to any other friendly man crusher units without give, oh, using nice. a command point. That's great. So really, yeah, really great. They also have grab those rocks and chuck them. So the you can get this command to man crushers until the end of your shooting phase, add one to attack's characteristic of their throwing rocks. So right nice. now, it used to be D3 attacks when you throw rocks, but it was only one unit could do it. Now, it's on the War Scroll. Every man crusher can throw a rock with an attack characteristic of one. So this takes wow. it to two. Yeah. Uh, and then, it, this is kind of something that was similar to the last one. If a man crusher fights into a unit that has 10 to 19 models, it gets plus one damage if it has 20 or more models then it gets plus two damage so if you're fighting hordes your man crushers are going to get a boost to their damage which is a good time right now fighting those hordes absolutely and what really sticks out though is the uh stomper tribes artifacts of power Uh so this is my absolute favorite one the club of the first oak is only for War Stompers, only in the Stomper Tribe. In your hero phase, you can heal one wound allocated to the bearer. Okay, it's small, but it's nice. In addition, while the bearer has 25 or more wounds allocated to them, they have a ward of 5 up. Wow. Yep, so they go to a 5 up ward. Now, you can pair this with your general with the command trait, Monstrously Tough. Put him on 40 wounds. So now... Once you get this Mega Gargant down 25 wounds, he still has 15 left. And a 5-up ward kicks in. Yep, yep. That's great. That's like our our old Universal Artifact that everybody was taking. The um, Amulet of Destiny. Was that what it was? Yep, giving a 5-up ward solid. (laughs) Yeah, sweet. That's awesome. So, And then the other one, a lot of people are liking the other one as well. Uh, Artifact of Power gives everything within 12 inches a bravery of 10. So whether you're heroic recovering or just trying to keep a Man Crusher mob from losing an extra model, bravery of 10, I mean, you you can't beat that. Well, and it prevents some of the weird horror gas shenanigans too, right? Yeah, exactly. Just keep your your Man Crusher mob from getting busted up. Yep, yep, for sure, for sure. Awesome. Uh, so, so the Stomper Tribe's number one in your opinion right now. I and think I, and so. I think, yeah. 
I think the meta that makes sense, right? Because it, it does seem to be more of a um, anti uh, battle line kind of faction. Yeah, exactly. So coming in at number two, I'm I'm kind of tied in, for different reasons in the Breaker and Taker tribe. The Breaker tribe is your Gate Breaker. Taker tribe is your Kraken Eater. The Taker tribe is you know very similar to last time, except it's more exclusive. You, your mightier makes readier is now plus five model counting for any of your Kraken Eaters or any of your Man Crushers. The, the Kraken Eater is sitting kind of in the middle in between the War Stomper and Gatebreaker uh-huh. on its, its damage overall. Uh, it only has four swings with its major club, but they're four damage each. So he is still pretty nice. Uh, and this one will boost how much you are on the objective itself with those models so not bad uh, i do like yeah. its command trait very acquisitive where it allows you to put two artifacts of power on your general and when you have a 500 point model two artifacts is huge and you can come up oh, with some yeah. really interesting pairings between them for some different stuff yeah for sure uh and then the breaker tribe i, I kind of see these both about the same place this used to be my bread and butter. I loved taking all gate breakers and man crushers uh-huh. to just get the boost that their uh, battle trait is fierce loathings. It gives plus one to hit on a category of your choice. Most people went with idiots with flags. Love the name. Amazing. <laughs> and it adds plus one to hit any idiot with a flag. So anything with a command model or any totem, you're plus one to hit. And that takes yeah. your Gatebreaker on most of the battlefield. Uh, you're going to be on threes and threes with his flail. Oh, wow. So, really good. His flail is down to six attacks, and you used to be able to boost that with a command trait on your general. So, that's why I'm sitting about second place with this one is... He caps out at threes and threes or threes and twos for finest hour or a triumph. Mm-hmm. I would love it if I could get him to twos and twos for at least one turn of the game to right. make sure to really lean into something. Uh, only six swings, even threes is just really scary. Yeah, and you're only walking away. I mean, mathematically, you're only walking away with four hits, right? Yeah, exactly. So. So, yeah. So, and, yeah. and this one, but this one definitely has some play. I think my personal feelings right now is playing a gatebreaker outside of this wouldn't be my choice, but you definitely can do it. They're, you know, kind of high risk, high reward models. Uh, but this giving him a plus one to hit into units so that you can have good resource allocation to use your titanic duel and mm. use your all-out attack in other places on the field if you get your gatebreakers in somewhere uh this kind of frees you up on some resource allocation yeah i i noticed that like if you can use sort of that economy um to your advantage when you have some of those abilities built in that you don't need your command points in certain situations that you can use them elsewhere that's where you really um, kind of 
maximize your army's potential. You know, when you can when you can be choosy about where you want to put your all-out attack or all-out defense or something like that instead of, like, having to do it because, you know, that's the one that you need. But if it's already got it built in, then, like, that's great. It frees you up. It frees up command points for other things, you know. Um, definitely helpful. Absolutely. And if you're using an army that has four units, then your resource management is everything. When do you find us hour? Do you find us hour offensively for the plus one wound defensively to try to keep it around longer or get it out of a bad situation? You're, and you now have more monsters actions. So you need to decide which ones are you going to use? You know, maybe you don't, you know, you don't want to use Titanic duel. You need to use one of the new ones, things like that. So your, your resource management when you have so few of them and picking the right place for them to go is absolutely crucial with this type of army. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I a hundred percent, hundred percent. You can get away with a lot, for example, with, um, iron jaws because of that ability from the mega boss to give out three commands in one, you know, but, uh, in, in something like the mega gardens, you gotta be real choosy. Yeah, absolutely. You just run in mighty destroyers, Send all your pigs in and hope for the best. And and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of great Iron Jaws players out there that aren't just, you know, throwing themselves face first into stuff. Uh, I'm not saying that, but yeah, it's it's a little little more forgiving when you get you know to do it three times every time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, very good, very good. Uh, and uh, and any more on your list that you got? So the last one I'd say is the Stomper Tribe. And just like okay. I said before, it's a this is the last place for me for now. It, this in yeah. a, a monster hammer type environment could be great. This allows right. you to give your man crushers the same ability that the Beast Smasher has in the, the monstrous strike um, ability so they can forego their four attacks with their clubs per model and use it for one attack and if it hits and wounds it's for 4d6 damage into a monster oh massive just massive oh so that's brutal and their artifacts are also good you know there's a one that allows them to call the wall which is awesome uh once per battle you can call the wall so if you do add plus one to hit rolls for your entire sons of bayamit army which is wow. really cool yeah uh so if you and then there's a, a command trait that i really like marrow drinker every time your general kills a monster roll a number of dice equal to that monster's wound characteristic for every five up you heal one wound to your general so, oh, that's pretty cool. That's yeah, pretty very nice. cool. So it, it's good. It's a good tribe. I used it in our big 3,500 point like monster mash that we yeah. did on the channel, and I really liked it. It was a lot of fun. It's good. I just think it's not right now, you know? Uh, it was six months ago, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, when... <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of sucks. So it makes you wonder, like, when that tribe will come back around in fashion. You know, whenever monsters do, I guess. And uh, 
because like who knows what the next meta is going to be instead of monsters they, we move we went from monsters to battle line you know infantry maybe we'll be moving to elites next or something like that um i don't know you know maybe but, or uh, i'm gonna be sitting here beginning of january painting two or three more beast smashers getting them ready for lvo <laughs> because the ghb dropped two weeks before i fly out and that's all right you know what that's part of the hobby and the last minute crunch is uh yeah. i think that's kind of just your penance of joining these hobbies that's fine well to me it's uh it's like the best motivator to paint you know because you're like just get it done get it done get it done you know so uh i find i find i find myself uh, getting a lot of painting done during crunch time it's true it's so. one of my favorite parts is when a whole team or club rolls into town for a GT on Friday night and yeah. half the guys break out their paint and their models are like, oh my gosh, I've got to get this finished up for tomorrow or I can't play. Yeah. I love yeah. it. So, uh, in, I think you said you're playing Bone Splitters right now. Are you going to be going back to um, the Suns uh, list anytime soon? I absolutely will. I really had a, just a, a internal debate for the Masters Tournament yeah. Whether I should, because I would have to use the old book, but I enjoyed the last book. Oh, right, because uh, it doesn't have a fact yet. I got right, it. exactly. Yep. And so yep. I was going to be running three Gatebreakers, two Babies, and the Horror Ghast, and I, I enjoyed that list, had fun with it. Uh, and it was a last-minute, almost coin flip to go Bone Splitters. So I'll definitely be going back to this book. Yeah. And here soon, probably... Taking them to Everwinter, although there's some debate uh, with some of the the people that I'm looking forward to hanging out with at Everwinter. We were talking, maybe all playing Ogres, because it's Everwinter. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> so, cool. we're going to see how many Ogre armies we can get in one place for Everwinter. Uh, so, I, I think my <laughs> army be might funny. be spoken for there. But, yeah, uh, definitely fair. LVO. Uh, I'll be finishing the season out on, uh, on the Gargan's new book. So let me let me ask you this: If I were a new player getting into the game, um, would you recommend that I? And I'm like, hey, I'm I'm kind of eyeing these mega gargants. Like, if if I was a brand new player, you know, just sitting at, at, at the feet of your veteran wisdom here, <laughs> you know, um, and I say, you know, bear, should I get into gargants? What would you tell me? Well, first I'd correct you that I do not have veteran wisdom, but that's okay. <laughs> but it it depends on you, the person. Okay. So, in terms of finances, you're looking at about $200 a model, and most yeah. people aren't really second-hand eBay rescue selling their Mega Gargants right now. Right. So... It is an investment. I've heard a lot of people complain about that. They're, you know, I want to play them, but you're looking $200 a pop to get the kit. There are 3D prints out there. There are some, other, some ways around that. And if your TO's okay with that and you want to flex those creative muscles, have at and enjoy it. So just, just one point on that real quick before you uh, finish expounding your veteran wisdom to us. Um, you know, it's funny that people kind of balk at the $200 um, because I'm staring at my Orc Army and my Night Hunt Army, and I have spent well over $800 <laughs> on those armies. You know what I mean? And, and it's oh, yeah. because 
you just go over time. So yeah, I get that it's like an initial sticker shock, like of like, oh my gosh, I just dropped two hundred dollars on this one model, and I need three more of them or something like that. Um, I get the sticker shock there, but to be honest with you, like eight hundred dollars, I I don't know. Do you think that that's kind of average for an army? You know, it's not bad, but then again, it depends on the way you're looking at it. I'm a yeah, I'm, I'm a speed paint plus kind of hobbyist. Uh-huh. Uh, I like my things to look as best as my talents can do. So, but I still I'm a rather fast hobbyist. Uh-huh. So for me, buying a gargant is kind of like going and sitting down to like a super high end steak dinner. You know, yeah. and an hour yeah. later. Uh, the money is spent and I'm, I'm done playing with a toy. So, yeah. to, to each their own. But uh, it it is a bit of a sticker shock. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think it's just an initial one. But, like, you see, you know, I the, the thing is, is, like, with Night Hunt, I got the Soul Wars box. And then I added on to it because I needed more, you know, uh, I, I needed more chain rest. I needed more spirit hosts. I needed more mirror, more banshees. I needed more, you know, like I need more, I need more, I need more. And so over the year that I was really playing night hunt, right? Like I had a black coach, I added like a whole bunch of other stuff. I, I mean, I easily spent more than $800. Like there's probably like a couple thousand dollars wrapped up into my night hunt army at this point, you know? Um, and I just don't, the thing is, is I don't think that you, like, unless you go really crazy, I mean, I guess you could get, yeah, I mean, like, you could, you could probably spend, like, I don't know, $1,200 on a Mega Gargant army and have all the models you need. Yeah, 100%. And so you, the investment is going to be similar in the end to an army. And it's uh... just, it's just a tough pill to swallow to get there. It, it is. Yeah, and I've heard people say it before, is like, you know, I'd, I limit myself to buying, like, I one unit a paycheck when I grow my hobby. Yeah. And I was like, but then I look at the sticker price on a Guardian, and I was like, well, maybe I'll buy one a month or so instead of one a paycheck. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's part of it. That's part of the know what you're getting into. You're going to be buying things in a in spikes instead of in a, a gradual ease in $50 at a time or so. But so, it, so let's say I'm the new player coming to you and your veteran wisdom. And it turns out I'm Elon Musk and <laughs> money is no object. Well, uh, for starters, Mr. Elon, I believe that you have better <laughs> things to do with your time, but that's, if you want to hang out with me, I am, I am honored, sir. But, I think this is a great army to learn Age of Sigmar and the basics and become really well-versed at everything the core rules has to offer to make you a better player. Okay. The rules are simple. You know, I get to swing. There are There's now a priest. I can do, do a, one prayer in my hero uh-huh. phase. I can arcane tome for one spell. I can yep. do the glowy lantern for an endless spell. Yeah, they're, they're, things are very cut and dry, and so I can knock out a small hero phase. I can knock out a small shooting phase. I have, you know, the movement is almost all the same. Babies can run and charge. And that's cool. Um, you have rather cut and dry tribal rules. They buff yeah. this and do that. Nothing crazy. I'm not change hosting all over the place. 
Um, the monster rampages are fun, and but they're not complicated. So yeah. what this has done for me as a player is things like, well, we're talking about resource management. When do I redeploy? You know, when yeah. should I run? When should I charge? When should I retreat? These things are the cornerstones of the core rules that make a good player great is being able to navigate your resources, navigate the board, your movement, your measuring, all those things. It's a really great place to practice because yeah. there's nothing else to worry about. Uh, rating one to five in terms of complexity, what would you give it? One and a half. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's kind of a, I, this has, this sometimes has a, a derogatory connotation, but like a point and click army, right? Like it, it has those elements to it. I, th I think you can still be very strategic, obviously with, um, with this army, but it doesn't have a lot of the same complications as, um, a lot of other ones out there that really no. need some kind of gimmicks to make them viable or, you know, like, uh, maximizing a lot of different kinds of units where you have to memorize a whole bunch of different rules for those units to, to again, be viable. Right. So, yeah. And to, to go off of that, I don't think any army is a one. I don't think any army is yeah. like a, a one in terms of complexity. You do need to know yeah. your rules, your distances, mm -hmm. your measurements and things like that. And so nothing is crazy simple because that'd be boring. You know, if yeah, you had totally. an army that totally. was just a, it was a one on, in terms of complexity, then, you know, why would you play it? Right. The, this yeah. one sits like, you know, right at like a two, you know, it's, it's fun. It's got a couple little nuances. There are some things that you can do about, I think it, it's really great if you can envision the geometry of the board and where can I move, where, where can I get to how do I get to the meat of that army? That kind of thing. I think you can have a lot of fun with it uh, if that kind of thing is for you. Yeah, I see two kinds of people playing this army. And, you know, I'm probably wrong. There's probably a lot more other people that would play this army. One, if, if cost is not a barrier to entry, this is a great army for a beginning player, you know, as we have kind of demonstrated. But two, like, this is a great army for someone who wants a change of pace from like a very complicated army you know so if you're playing um i don't know like a, even a soul blight's gravelord list where you got a lot of a lot of things going on um switching gears to going like pure destruction with these mega gargants like that's a that's a a different part of your brain that you're using and um a different change of pace too that i think could be a lot of fun yeah, absolutely. And I, I started off doing Iron Jaws. I was actually a change host player when that okay. battalion was in the meta. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Crazy different than what I'm doing now. Um, I've played a lot of Stormcast. I've, I've had a number of different armies over time. And this for me, you know, talking about being a new player, I wasn't new, but I was finishing my deployments, finishing my military service, coming out of that. Right. And I was looking to go to my first ever LVO. Okay. And I was looking to, I had a couple tournaments that I could get myself into before LVO, get warmed up. I was like, what's something that I can have right now? I have some 3D printers, I have some money, 
what can I have right now that's going to be something I can learn, I can get better at, I can get some reps in, and I can fly to LVO with ease. And that's four right. models. That yep. was four models in a box with a lot of people looking at me at the airport, asking questions, and that's fun. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. If you yep. ever want a great conversation starter, carry a bunch of like mega gargants in a clear container through the airport. A lot of people will have some very genuine, real, and polite questions for what is that, and it's a lot. I of like fun. your I like your dolls, Mister. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, hey, those look really great. Did you paint them, and why do you have dolls? Uh, yeah, right, exactly. And they're like they're the size of dolls too. It's not like a, the little models, <laughs> yeah. right? So, yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, uh, do you have any parting advice for anyone that's looking to play Sons of Behemoth or, um, or looking to pick up the new Battle Tome or anything like that? No, mostly I, I will put myself out there. I am available on most types of social media and stuff. If you have questions, if you want to know more or if you just want to bounce some ideas off me or even say hi give us a shout on the youtube channel on twitter instagram facebook wherever give me a shout ask me questions i am more than happy i love being active in the community it's probably my favorite part of the youtube channel and traveling and everything else it's just the amount of people that i've got to meet the even the social media friendships that i've built uh here recently they're great and i love them and it's my favorite part of this Hundred uh, percent. The community is uh, so much fun. And Bear, I appreciate you coming on our show tonight and uh, parting your veteran wisdom with us, sir. <laughs> Thank uh, you so much, much for having me. <laughs> as much as uh, you may think that it's not veteran, like uh, you are, you are uh, one of the best out there with these mega gargants. And uh, I can't wait to see what happens at LVO and in the ITC as you uh, as you move along. Thank you so, very much. Yeah, thank you for coming on, and thank you, everybody, for listening to us tonight. If you like what you hear, please give us a, a like, a thumbs up, share us with your friends, and, uh, you know, give us uh, leave us some reviews. Like, that also helps the, um, the podcast get found by other people who may be interested in this topic just as you were. So thank you so much, everybody. You have a great night, and we will catch you later. <laughs> <laughs>